And welcome back, everyone, to an incredibly special episode of the podcast. I am joined today by Dr. Slav Brindley of the um, British Antarctic Survey and Professor Simon McQuayon yeah, of the um, Teesside University Arts Department, who and he used to work for the British government. Okay. And so could you please like tell the audience a bit about yourselves? B, do you want to go first or? Yes, either, either like fine. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joshua, for the invitation to be part of this very special uh, series of, of podcasts. It's been um, fascinating to get to know you and your work uh, a little bit more, and it's uh, a real privilege to um, to be here today. Uh, as you said, my name is Beatrix Schlaub-Ridley. Um, my role um, is Director of Innovation and Impact at uh, the British Antarctic Survey. And part of um, that innovation that we're looking at um, for our organization itself is how to increase inclusivity um, so that we build a stronger and more diverse um, innovation culture, listening to more voices and incorporating a much broader spectrum of lived experiences as well, because traditionally uh, Antarctica as a place um, to do research in has not been a very diverse place. And uh, we are very keen to address that and very keen to work uh, with others in order to, to learn from best practice elsewhere, uh, to try out what, uh, what we can do and whatever we learn, we are keen to share with others as well. So it's a real privilege uh, to be able to do that through the podcast with you today. Yeah, and well, thank you, Dr. Salbredi. And um, Professor, what about you? Please tell us a bit about yourself. Joshua, thank you for the invite. I really appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to, to our discussion. Um, Joshua, uh, I'm a professor of art at the Mima School of Art and Design at Teesside University, which is in uh, Middlesbrough in the UK, northern part of the UK. Um, I'm really interested in um, art and equality and science and all these kind of things. Um, I'm a as a professor of art, I get involved in different projects. I use a lot of technology. And, but one of my key roles over the last three or four years has been with the external advisory group uh, to, to UK Research and Innovation. So I haven't actually worked for the UK government, but I've been uh, a voluntary advisor to a body, uh, to the to UKRI, which is a government, uh, uh, an arms led government body in the UK, which funds the UK research. And in that, I've been involved in the, with 10, 15 other people. And we've looked at how the government's, in, in its research, looks at, we've looked at how the government supports uh, equality, diversity and inclusion. And we've tried to work with UK Research and Innovation to make their approaches broader and, and, and more exciting in a way, uh, more open. And, and, and through that, I, I uh, was invited by by B to, to become involved in British Antarctic Survey and their approach to EDI, which has been really exciting as well. So, uh, excuse me, um, Dr. Slobberly, so what activities does your department sort of undertake? Like the department that you're the director of the, um, and because you're also a champion of diversity and inclusion, so what exactly does, what work and what research does your government does um, your department undertake? 
Yes, so um, the uh, Innovation and Impact uh, Department has sort of two um, different areas um, that, that are complementary uh, to each other. So firstly, we define um, innovation as something that is fresh and um, adds value, and the value um, comes through in, in the impact. And uh, we look at both outward-facing and inward-facing uh, innovation. And the outward-facing side is um, making sure that whatever expertise and um, uh, assets and, and um, experience we have to, to ensure it's not only useful for academia, but for society and economy more widely as well. So that is very wide ranging from technical widgets that our fantastic engineers have invented uh, for the Antarctic context that could be useful in other extreme environments as well. Um, over models and processes, we have a lot of impact um, in, in the IPCC process, climate science evidence um, for um, NGOs uh, in the environmental sector um, and also with, with uh, small and, and bigger companies. So it's um, a very broad ranging externally facing um, area of impact, uh, but also um, internal uh, innovation. And that is looking at how can we do whatever we do better, more effectively and, um, and better for, for our people and the planet. And um, so part of, a very important part of that has been to look at how we, um, the well-being of our workforce and the con and the um, composition of our workforce, as well as as whether the processes um, that we have in place are are fit for purpose and and help us to be um, uh, to do our our job environmentally friendly and in safe ways. So uh, traditionally, um, Antarctica has been. Uh, not a very diverse working place. It's uh, the heroic age of exploration is white bearded men um, who have dominated and um, it was very late that, that even women were allowed to, to work uh, in, in the Antarctic and with regard to um, people with disabilities, people from ethnic minorities or those from LGBTQ plus uh, background. Um, there's a definite underrepresentation compared to to what we find in UK society uh, more generally, and uh, we've recognised that as a um, as a real issue because diversity in talents uh, brings innovation. It brings different views, points of views, different lived experiences, um, enrich the way we are thinking, and we can't afford not to have that that talent represented uh, within our workforce. So, um, I, as the directorate. Uh, champion for diversity and um, inclusion. Uh, I'm part of a um, fantastic initiative, the Diversity in UK Polar Science Initiative, which is much broader than only our uh, organisation. It goes across the whole uh, UK polar community to see what we can do to address this current imbalance and underrepresentation, uh, and how we can make sure that um, talent from uh, the currently underrepresented um, groups will feel welcome and will want to work with us uh, so that we can um, benefit from each other. Yeah, Anna, because there's something else that's actually related to that that I wanted to ask you about, because I read on your website that you, that the BAS understands that Antarctica or studying Antarctica and doing research today is important to help us about more about like global warming and climate change and th this brings us back to like this leads back to the to what you just said about like inclusivity is because global warming is an important issue and we really do need more 
sort of, you know, underrepresented peoples, like, you know, and minorities taking part in it. So does BAS, like, do anything to help, to help, like, young people raise awareness about climate change and global warming or, like, or how, or, like, what programs does BAS have or what initiatives have you undertaken to sort of help like people across the UK raise awareness about you know how Antarctica impacts global warming because for those of you who don't know, Antarctica like what happens in the southern hemisphere affects people in the north and vice versa. Like for example, in 1816, a volcano called Mount Tambora erupted in Indonesia, and the eruption was so great that it caused 1816 to be called the year without summer in Europe. Like it was so cold that snow fell in July. Yes, and so, well, basically, if we, because of course, like inclusion and representation of human rights, and if, and part of human rights is making sure, you know, people have a right to life, and we'll currently, due to the climate, will people, you know, becoming sick, and by looks of things, passing out from heat waves, and this is where global warming affects human rights and vice versa. It's one of those things that, it's one of the, it falls under the theme of, intersectionality basically yeah. yeah so what has BAS done to like promote inclusion in the fight against climate change and help raise awareness about global warming yes an extremely important uh, and and uh, timely uh, topic so we get involved on uh, on a whole range of different um, uh, levels so in, in a very fundamental level the the research that we are um, funded uh, to carry out has a very strong climate um, uh, element to it and the vast majority of our scientific outputs um, helps to um, inform decision makers of what uh, the reality is of environmental change and as you mentioned the Antarctic is a, is a sentinel for change that uh, we will see in other parts of, um, of the globe as well and what happens in Antarctica most definitely affects the rest of the, the, the globe. Um, so we provide scientific evidence that uh, will help decision makers to um, understand what is necessary and also um, increasingly as we look at mitigation measures um, see whether um, the baseline is there and what baseline we're comparing um, the changes to and whether mitigation measures are, are, are effective so that that goes through um, the whole DNA of our organization you also mentioned what um, is being done in order to um, help the general public and young people understand um, the significance of, of climate change and I would very much recommend that uh, people look at our richness of uh, resources that explain uh, more about the scientific background and uh, and the significance of the findings. We also have programs that directly go into schools and um, discover the Arctic and discover um, Antarctica. Uh, they um, uh, help, help with the UK syllabus uh, for school children to understand uh, the significance of, of this research and of uh, the, the um, environmental change that uh, we see happening very rapidly uh, in the polar regions. Um, and yeah, by providing these uh, resources to the public and to, to, to schools, um, that, that's an ongoing baseline. We also have very uh, strong um, 
targeted campaigns, for example, at the moment in the preparation for uh, COP26, uh, where we do a lot of outreach into the community um, with um, science fairs, uh, with um, talks, uh, with uh, media interviews to, to raise awareness and to um, engage people in dialogue and help them uh, to, to grasp the significance. And the role of art is very strong in there because there's one thing talking about the data, but that stays in the left-hand side of our brains and doesn't necessarily touch our hearts in a way that makes us change our attitudes and actions. It's also making that emotional connectivity with the right-hand side of the brain. And collaborations with artists, for example, have been extremely valuable uh, in, uh, in this respect. So we reach out um, to the general public and to decision makers very broadly. And with regard to um, people from underrepresented backgrounds, we are keen to have targeted engagement models that um, that helps them to become a part of our community and contribute with their lived experience to help us understand also what we uh, may need to change further. Because, um, yeah, we, we all have taken a lot of things in our lives for granted as private individuals and in our working lives. And um, change is necessary and new lived experience will help us to bring that change about. Yes, and you just mentioned um, COP26, and I'm sure most of you listening have heard it in the news, but like, what exactly is it like a big climate convention? Um, yes, it is the um, Convention of Parties. Um, it is the um, linked to the um, uh, the, the UN um, and the IPCC uh, process, and it helps uh, governments to come together to look at uh, what um, needs to be changed in order to uh, respond to the warning signs that the scientific community has uh, put out for um, a very long time already. One very big um, COP meeting was the, led to the, the Paris Agreement, uh, where nations have um, committed to um, making sure that by 2050 uh, we have a net zero um, carbon planet and uh, now the hard work has to continue to make sure that promises that have been made by governments are upheld and that indeed we stay on a trajectory to um, keep our planet on um, yeah, on, on a safe level and not reaching tipping points that uh, cannot be um, undone and uh, which bring us into a, a kind of world that we do not want to leave to our uh, to our children. Yes, and um, I guess, uh, Professor, I'm now turning to you and Professor um, Dr. Celebrity, really thank you for your explanation on that. Yeah. Joshua, I think it, uh, what what uh, uh, what was just said is is really important, and I think it's important to highlight that as uh, as a disabled person, as a disabled artist, I'm I'm, I'm aware that uh, a as a disabled researcher, I'm aware that, for instance, the UN highlights the fact that in catastrophes, in 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 um, when the disasters happen, it's often disabled people who are most adversely affected. And for, for, for me, uh, what I'm really interested in is, is has we, you know, B talks about mitigation and talks about how, uh, and talks 
very rightly about Cop and so on is, uh, and it, it's so important that inclusion is built into into all this because otherwise, and we've already seen this through the COVID pandemic, simply disabled people can be the most ad adversely affected uh, in in a catastrophic situation, and and so mitigation anything to do with the, the, the climate change and so on must include disabled people because otherwise we already know that they are they are they are the most the, the UN highlights already that they the, the disabled people are the most affected in, in, in these difficult situations. Yes and like this is one thing that I want to talk about because so like well why do you get into art and like do you think and how do you like use art to express yourself and communicate and also could you please um tell a bit more about like your disability because okay well um joshua um um a deafened person and the deafness comes from a condition called osteogenesis imperfecta which or which is otherwise known as brittle bones it's a it's a, a rare condition and in my case, it means I've broken around 140 bones over my lifetime. Um, and so I'm a use, you know, at different times, I, I've used different aids, um, crutches, slings. Uh, I've been in, been, in, been in hospital for long periods of time and so on. Um, and that, that really, um, that history led me to, to, to think that art was a really good thing to do because quite frankly when I was younger not the, the, the schools that I went to and whatever didn't really think that I was going to achieve much and, and partly the reason why they didn't think I was going to achieve much was because they, they weren't very good at being inclusive so they didn't see that they didn't see that uh, the pe people who were, who, were, uh, who were different have value um, or have equal value shall we say um, you know I'm I'm in my I'm in my fifties, so uh, we can look back at a different period and think that you know that the, they weren't as informed perhaps as they should have been. But um, what that did that that exclusion, if you like, made me concentrate fully on fully on my art practice. It meant that from being a young age, I I, I literally could do I literally did what I wanted really. So if I was off school for any long period of time, I wasn't given any homework. I wasn't asked to do anything, and so I just used to do my own thing and teach myself and entertain myself and so on. And, and that led me through, I met some really excellent art teachers in more senior schooling and ultimately did a degree in fine art uh, and, and then went on to become a, a senior technologist, a creative technologist in, in the late 1980s, a long time before, a long time before Toy Story. So I was making really interesting special effects in London. London was the centre of special effects at that time in Europe and uh, uh, the rest of the special effects in, in the late 1980s were made in Los Angeles or London and so I worked in a very small industry in London uh, and had a, and, and really enjoyed that period of time which was very very creative um, and, and I worked with people who, who came indeed from one of the people I worked with who was uh, uh, a good friend at the time came from, uh, he'd previously been a conservation manager um, of, of, of a park uh, 
he came in and, and was actually excellent at computing and creative computing. And from there, I moved on to working in computer games. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I worked with a games company in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK, and they created some of the... Uh, as a team, we created some of the biggest selling games of 2000, 2001, in particular, <laughs> a, a, in particular a game called Driver. And from there, I... Uh, uh, from there, I used that technology to inform and create my own work. And so I started to use technology with disability uh, as, as a focus. So uh, I started to bring an EDI consideration to technology because quite often, um, well, what I'd found in computer games, computer game, quite often in computer games, there's quite an inclusive atmosphere uh, of people with uh, impairments. So people who, who were deaf or autistic or or, or, or or with other conditions would often be working in the games company. Um, the gender balance was often quite, <laughs> there was often quite an entire company full of men, but there was quite often some disabled people there. So I really enjoyed that atmosphere and, and took that into the, to academia when I joined Teesside University. Um, I joined with the express intention of using motion capture and using digital technology to create projects which were inclusive and i did that and we uh, i've shared with you motion disabled um uh, which you can see on the website motiondisabled.com but also large so that's an internal project using motion capture as well as external projects which are collaboratively based um such as cock ignite uh, cock which was all about working with um, a group of disabled artists in Ireland to create a large outdoor spectacular work. Yeah, and just so you know, if, if you want to check out um, Professor McQuinn's work, there'll be links to his website down in the description box below. And so, like, how supportive have your family been? Like, have, you, have your family been, like, understanding? Have they, like, helped you achieve your goals? Like, the people in your life, your family, friends? Um, my family are very supportive. I think my father, when I was younger, just said, don't do anything you don't like, meaning in terms of work. You know, he said, don't waste your life in a job that wasn't meaningful to you. In terms of practicality, they couldn't do a lot. I come from a working class family, um, so they weren't in a position to provide lots of finance or, um, or things like that. But what they did provide was moral support, which was go and do your own thing. And, uh, and and don't 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 assume don't let people assume that you can't do do things and so they provided that that support in that sense um, and and my friends uh, on a more practical level many of my friends have been involved in the work that I do and have come along and videoed it photographed it or been practical parts of it so uh, my brother is also an artist and uh, he's been very supportive and involved in my work uh, at different times as well. Yeah, and you you met um, Dr. Salah Bridley at one point and you're close friends with her so, and you've worked on like different projects. So what were some of the projects that the two of you collaborate on to promote inclusiveness? 
Well, we've been very privileged to have Simon as part of um, the steering group um, of the Diversity in UK Polar Science uh, Initiative. Um, and uh, so he, he is a very valued member bringing in the lived experience of someone who has been successful in academia um, and uh, with, with a disability. Uh, we have got a couple of uh, projects um, that specifically for um, the polar community uh, we've been investing um, in and that, that we found very, very valuable. And um, the first of those um, is called Polar Horizons. And um, that's a, a one week um, engagement program where uh, we invite um, students, early career researchers um, in, uh, from all um, subjects that are relevant to, uh, to polar science uh, to join us for a, for a week um, where they get some lectures um, that are introdu introduce them to the, the general work, uh, but also get a one-to-one -one mentorship with um, academics that work particularly in their, their field of interest. And this is um, a, a ring-fenced program for um, those with disabilities, those from ethnic minorities, um, uh, or with an LGBTQ uh, plus background, because those are three areas uh, where currently the polar um, research community is, uh, is very much underrepresented compared to, to UK society more generally. And we've been hugely encouraged by having been able to run this program twice so far. The first iteration um, was in um, uh, early 20, uh, nine, 2020, just yeah, the, first, <laughs> the, the first week of lockdown. Uh, we had the first of, of the days together in person, um, a fantastic buzz in, uh, in, in the room and then um, uh, COVID lockdown hit in the UK and we were, uh, we had to, to move the program onto um, an online uh, platform uh, instead. But in this first iteration, uh, we were able to engage uh, 20 early career researchers from um, diverse backgrounds um, in uh, the, the directly in the in the research and we stayed in touch with them uh, throughout the coming years as well giving extra talks and um, and mentoring opportunities and then the following year uh, earlier this spring we were able to do the whole program um, at much larger scale uh, in, in a virtual uh, platform and um, there we had over a hundred uh, early career researchers involved of which uh, 60 um, two had direct uh, mentoring with um, academics uh, in, in their field or experts in their field it can, could be um, engineering or other professions within the, the polar community uh, as well in the logistics for example um, or the communication side or HR or any of these uh, these areas and and it's been fantastic to build uh, a body of people who understand better what we are about and who understand the role that they might be able to play uh, in um, in the future of, of um, the polar community. So that's been one very, very valuable um, program that was sort of short and sharp for a week, but with, with continued follow-up. And um, one of the things that came out of that was, uh, you know, we need to keep building that momentum and we need to keep um, giving people the opportunity um, for testing out 
um, what they can offer and understanding in more detail um, how they could contribute to, uh, to, to the research. So we've now got a, a number of ring-fenced internships of up to six months, um, which again can be from the whole spectrum of, uh, of polar research or uh, operations and have been hugely encouraged by the number of high quality applicants that uh, we've received um, earlier this year when, when this program first came out. And um, yeah, they're just about to start and a third of the applicants uh, had a disability background. And um, that's um, a fantastic increase in uh, visibility and representation um, with those with a lived experience that uh, that really enriches the way um, th that we think about our world and our research as well. Yeah, and uh, Professor McQuay and I'm going to turn back to you now because, like, you're a disability champion for um, UK research and innovation, and you've also like done a been on a whole bunch of art panels, so artistic. Been at a bunch of art conferences. At any of those points, did you did you get the opportunity to like raise awareness about your disability to both the um, UK research and innovation department and um, to like the rest of the art community? And you could and did you ever get the opportunity to like say, okay, yes, and this is why I think art is important. This and despite my disability, this is what my artwork has helped me to achieve at all. Yeah, uh, Joshua. Yes, uh, um, I mean, I think B would agree with me. We we I deliberately sit in meetings, policy meetings, which are not sometimes as that exciting. Specifically, um, and I'm sure B thinks the same. We sit in meetings specifically to get that opportunity to challenge the status quo and to change things. And you can only do that by contributing and being in these panels and so on. And so. Uh, I've recently um, uh, finished being part of the external advisory group to UK Research and Innovation. That finished a, a month or so ago. To, but I'm now part of, for instance, the uh, I'm, I'm part of an advisory group to Liberty Festival. And Liberty Festival is the Mayor of London's Festival in London, specifically for disability art. And, and over the summer, we have commissioned... Uh, a, a, a large group of disabled artists to create work which will be showcased in Lewisham in 2022. Lewisham is a, a large borough in a, a large area of London and so that this is this is one of the um, the biggest disability art festivals in 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 the UK and probably Europe and, and it's it's a real chance for us to uh, help promote art that considers disability and, and considers the, the lived journey uh, of, of of disability and I think that's a really important thing um, but I think it's really important that people take the time to actually consider how they can get involved in policy and I think that's what I've done over the last five six seven years is to really try and work with uh, within the within academia for instance with I, I, I um, am involved with the Arts and Humanities Research Council uh, I'm on their peer review Council, and that means I'll look at art projects on a regular basis and consider uh, and review them uh, in an academic sense. And they've been reviewed for you know, potentially for grants. 
But what I've been able to do there is start that discussion again within the Arts and Humanities Research Council as to how and why is this an inclusive organisation? How and why are the grants that they are awarding inclusive as well? And that's been really interesting and well received. And it's kind of one of the things that you do, you know, you've got you've really got to chip away um, and, and try and make improvements as you go along whenever you whenever you get the chance. And it's been fascinating to work with with being with British Antarctic Survey to to see their journey and to see the change that's been able to be implemented. I work with the with um, I work within Mima School of Art and Design at Teesside, and and we were uh, an inclusive organisation. We put a lot of effort into being inclusive. We uh, have had some really interesting exhibitions recently that that have got inclusivity at, at the base, both you know both within, for instance, ethnicity and and, and also within uh, also considering disability. So. Um, I think it's really important that you do it at a policy level, but then ultimately on a personal level, one of the things as an artist that I think people forget is that disability isn't just about campaign for inclusion. It's actually a really interesting area in its own right. It's actually its own story to tell. It's its own narrative and it's, and it's pretty funny. Um, it's, it, it's interesting. It's got depth and, it, and, and it's important that when, um, you know, it has been described as the last avant-garde. You know, it's it's one of the last areas to be really mined and discovered and 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 used artistically in in a grand way. And I think that's really important that it shouldn't just be seen as something separate and other. It should be seen as something that's to to be exploited and to be part of the mainstream. And so, in my work, and, and as Joshua mentioned in the links, you'll see in my work, I put a lot of effort to try and make work which is all about disability but I try to present it in a very mainstream setting and try and change and challenge that idea of exclusion and otherness otherness and to make us part of to make disabled people part of a, a, a dynamic part of an exciting part of mainstream culture yeah and this is um yeah because this is one area that I agree with you, more people should explore. And how do you think they've done a great job on the um doing that on the global community because we have like the third December disability day? Like, do you think they've been effective at raising awareness through days like that? And um Well, I think I, I definitely and I think it takes um it takes imagination. So I was very lucky in 2010 to work with an American organization called VSA and VSA had the ambition to showcase motion disabled in as many countries as they could simultaneously and we 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 showcased motion disabled in 17 countries in 24 locations at the same time from India to South America to America to the UK Ireland and it, it was uh, it was fascinating um it was a really interesting it took a lot of doing, it took a lot of management, but with a small team, we achieved worldwide presentation of that work. And so I think December, I think that the, the December the 3rd, 30 December, it's a really important day that should that should sort of be used um, to, to highlight really creative works and to highlight the position of disabled people in society. But what I don't, what I don't want and I th it is for it just to be a day where people come out and just do something for one day or for that week. What's important is that the 
that is that the our inclusion as disabled people in society in science carries on for the rest of the year and that's the same for all edi that's the same for all considerations of inclusion people from multiple from diverse backgrounds should be included permanently within society on uh, in an equal in an equal on equal on an equal status yeah and well that's one thing i talked about on last episode is because with the un disability day but we also have things like pride month for the lgbtq community and i was like well that's a massive step in the right direction and what i also find be a massive step in the right direction is the fact that like you know go back to the uk um like celebrities like Prince Harry and um, Anne Hegarty and who's the Chase's governess and like Adi Aptian have like, they've come out and they've done things to promote disability across the UK and the world. I feel that that is a very encouraging sight to see like, not to see that celebrities or ordinary people go out and, you know, advocate and contribute to it like a awareness raising events. And what I also like is that like, the, for example, the, B, the BBC has their own like disability show. There's a link to it in the description box below, but they find that to be very encouraging. And I feel like the more we get like celebrities and governments and like, like partaking in awareness raising events or show or being on shows and raising awareness, the more ordinary people would think, oh, well, Oh right, I I can't do anything. But you, as soon as you see like an an MI person doing it, that is a very encouraging sight. And yeah, I think we need more of that. Yeah, we, disabled people need to be and must be part of normal life, normal mainstream culture, edu mainstream education, and and the rationale behind exclusion isn't a good one. So the, the rationale for inclusion is a very good one. Yeah. And we're also like, and I take it you have similar thoughts about like, you know, the Atelier for Allah art studio, your thoughts as an artist, I would like to hear that. Um, as an artist, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed the work collaboratively and I really enjoyed the work with other disabled people. So. Um, a recent project in 2018 involved working, for instance, with a group and ex exclusively with a group of learning disabled people. And learning disabled people are often on the margins of society and, and for forgotten about. And I was able to work with a wonderful organisation in St. Helens called Buzzhub to, uh, with about with 10 disabled artists there to create a, a large outdoor projection match uh, event and what was really nice about that was the, the collaborative nature of the work meant that I was able to spend time and take time which is really important to take time to listen to people with learning disabilities to understand expression to take time to to value their artwork and their ideas and then to jointly kind of mesh that into a final work which they were able to see projected onto their town hall. And so what we're doing is we're, we're taking people often, what I'm trying to do is take people who are often given low esteem and actually giving them centre stage and giving them the most esteem I can possibly give them in a cultural sense. Uh, 
and and we foolishly decide that learning disabled people have got little to offer when of course they have as much to offer as everybody else yeah and i've heard that, that too like seeing it i won't makes me think okay you know i tell you that i will continue to go on because i've already seen like other artists with disabilities in their projects and they start small they gradually grown to become something massive and that gives me hope for what I'm doing it for what other people are doing. So yeah. So well, thank you for thank you all for listening in. And I would like to give a big thank you to Dr. Slobridley and Professor Simon McCorn for joining me today. And well, just you know, if in case of you like wanna send us a message, you can there'll be a link to where you can send messages to in the description box below. But if you would like to get in touch with either um, some McCann or Dr. Shardbridley, where the where can they get in touch with you? Thank you, Joshua. It's been a real pleasure uh, to be part of this conversation today. Likewise, Joshua, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure listening to, listening to me and hearing more about everything bs2 and and so on so it's been great to see you thank you yes and just you know if you any of you want because of course dr slobridley is a government employee and Susan mccorton was a former government employee if, if you want to like learn any more about you know her majesty's disability related undertakings there'll be a link to a bunch of in the description box below in the meantime please you know like send us a message or leave especially leave a review like you need to get those reviews out please leave us a review rate the show how many stars you think it deserves hopefully please be five but that is ultimately your decision and in case if you want to look at um professor mccann's work there'll be a link there'll be links to his websites in the description box below so you can go ahead and appreciate the art for as long as you want and of course there'll be a link to the british antarctic surveys links in the there will be a link to their website in the description box below so that we can you know catch up on anything you might miss today you can learn about the work and other things other important things that and i'll see you next time bye Hang on.